0: Hello everyone, my name is Vanessa menendez Covelo, and this is the Fresh Needle podcast, where I interview fresh graduates and acupuncture students from all over the world, and we discuss their experiences as students or running own clinics, particularly in these very weird times of COVID-19. I want to tell you about an amazing opportunity that is opening up for new graduates who are looking to build their acupuncture practice. Nava Karman is a leading acupuncturist and herbalist specializing in fertility, gynecology and the immune system. She has run the fertility support company for over 20 years. Nava is launching a new mastermind group exclusively for new graduates. This mastermind group will meet every two weeks to provide mentoring, guidance and inspiration, and will focus on clinical skills and the practicalities of building a business. This will be a close-knit group of practitioners who will work together for a year to develop the skills and habits required to be clinically effective and financially successful. I recently did a session with Nava, and what I liked the most about it is how safe I felt about discussing my fears and worries. I came out of it with a list of very practical, achievable steps to implement change. There are only six places in the group, so you need to apply quickly. Go to www.dot.fertilitysupport.dot.expert/forward/slash/graduate. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is an experienced acupuncturist, Fiona Swinburne. Graduated from ACE. NCA in York in 2011 and she has a lot of experience building a practice since she has had to do it all again after an extended period of time of having children. Fiona practices in Newcastle upon Tyne. Welcome Fiona.
1: Hi Vanessa, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being here, it's weird times isn't it? (laughs) The weirdest. Does it get any weirder? I don't think so. <laughs> no, no. I, I was thinking like, you know, um like our parents and our grandparents, they live through wars and luckily, you know, and I know I know this is not a war, this is nothing like a war, but yeah. it is like it seems to be like the event that's defining, you know, at least this, this few years.
1: Yeah for sure and it's so far-reaching right in every area of life personal you know work personal all, all areas it's, it's affecting everything.
0: Yeah. Yes and um, so I was thinking you must be banging your head against the wall and um, you just recently came back to practice and then suddenly you've had to close it again because of the COVID-19 so how do you feel how are you feeling right now?
1: Yeah, do you know what, I've just been, I've been about a million feelings, probably like everyone, I've been, you know, it's okay, it's terrible, it's catastrophic, it's actually, um, you know, it has potential, it has this, I've been everywhere with it, Um, there's been a lot going on as well since it it all happened for me personally, but um, yeah, I mean, I think I returned to practice probably about a year and a half ago, after a good extended period off, about three years um from my clinic and um I only actually restarted my clinic because some clients said look we're actually just I'm gonna go somewhere else if you're not if you are you coming back are you not or what and I thought you know this is a push start back with one client two clients just take it easy start back slowly um which is what I did um but it was a very different experience to the first time I opened my clinic which was a clinic at home this was now um, not available to me. So I had to open a clinic and, and, uh, in an actual clinic in a premises. So that was a whole whole new experience. So I've been working really hard. Initially, I was working quite slowly, part-time, just finding my feet again, trying to remember Chinese medicine and yeah. how you actually do this job, you know, um, and then building up clients again and welcoming back clients that um, other practitioners had been looking after for me and welcoming new clients um, and then probably just before Christmas, around about November time last year, I went from being part-time to having to rather suddenly go full-time with my practice nearly almost over overnight um, because I became the main kind of income earner in my family. Mm-hmm. So I had to really up my game in terms of getting clients in and things like that and becoming a full-time practice um, to support my family. And I think then I, there was lots of things that came after that. The clinic that I was in then suddenly closed. Then I moved to another clinic, spent money decorating it and doing it all up and everything. And then a few weeks, two weeks later, they told me they were moving. Um, <laughs> and then February was a good month. And then March, the pandemic hit. So I thought, you're <laughs> kidding me. on. Oh, I've literally knocked my – I mean, I was working very hard to – to see clients and build up my practice to full time, had it nice and steady to the point where I was thinking, okay, now I can start to think about other things in my business as well as what I was just doing. And then, and then Corona hit, and then that was it. Um, felt like it, yeah, the work felt like uh, you know yeah, felt like a a grief. It felt really uh, quite a shock. But there are a couple of
0: things that you've mentioned that I've loved. I've loved that you said oh, I was a bit worried, do I remember Chinese medicine? Because I think that happens to a lot of, you know, like even recent graduates, because I finished my exams in July and because our certificate was given to us in September and then my um, local authority, my council in North London, um, was being really funny about the license for my room. I didn't start practicing until Mm mid-October. And it was really a worry. I was like, oh my God, do I remember anything?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? And I think the 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 most powerful thing someone said to me is uh, um, when I graduated was just keep it simple. Always keep it simple. There's no need to be miss fancy pants. Just keep it simple. Um and and that's always what I come back to, calming myself and coming back to that. Even when I'm having times where I can have two days in clinic and think, I feel like I've just done the same points for two days. You know what's going on you know what's happening or what am I doing questioning how I practice and and what I'm doing but um the yeah ultimately I think keeping things simple is s- simple is the way forward um for uh, in particular for graduates but for everyone you know it can seem Chinese medicine can seem really overwhelming if you let it I think for anyone at any stage in their Chinese medicine journey you know um it's always going to be something else, isn't it? You know, it's always going to be maybe studying herbs or studying something else. And so it's more information to learn and more knowledge to kind of work with. Yes, and I think sometimes we forget. We forget that actually
0: simple is really good. So many people, like, you know, 90% of my patients that came through my doors, you know, had... You know, the same patterns over and over and over again. So Mm. it's okay to treat the same patterns. We're not here to entertain ourselves with some fancy, obscure pattern that you only see in one of a hundred people. You know, sometimes you do, but most of the time you see the same. Thing over and over, and that's okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I wonder what part of you is when you're trying to, you know, when you keep it simple, you're, I, I, I imagine, for me anyway, this is the way my mind works. It keeps me more present with the client. So there's more emphasis on the um, ob- observation and some mm. of those subtleties that you might miss if you're trying to be all up in your head, trying to think, you know, too much t- t- to too much detail. That can even come later when you start with a client, right? When you get going, you know, you, you you know when you're doing your intake initially you're obviously as you're going along it's aha aha okay this that that right this is what we're working with today and then maybe you can formulate around that when you have a good look through the intake and think about other things might come to you and the more you talk with the client touch the client all of those things so maybe you can adapt your treatment protocol after then but initially always keeping it simple is the best place to start I think yeah yeah, and I wonder as well if it's uh,
0: because, you know, I, I, I had some classmates that really had a, a a very strong preference for getting quite sophisticated in their mm-hmm. diagnosis, and that never happened to me. I'm well. simple. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it comes from, um, I used to be a computer programmer, mm-hmm. and if you write code, it's fine when you write your own software that you are going to use on your own. You know, you can make it as fancy as you can, but if you're working in a team of 100 developers and no one can read your code, then you're not a good developer. And and I've seen people, I actually think that programming is an art as well as a science. Yeah. So when you see some really simple code, it's beautiful. And I've seen the same thing when a practitioner, you know, gets some really bright, diverse symptoms and manages to condense the, condense condense them into a simple kind of, you know, maybe two or three patterns, but really that makes sense to me, that really is another beauty. But I, I wonder how much that is down to, I don't know, personality or the way someone's mm. raised. I <laughs> don't know.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. And I think as well, this the beauty and simplicity quite often can be with our clients as well when we're chatting to them. You know, if we can keep it simple <laughs> and if we can translate that nice and elegant, elegantly, you know, in its simplicity, then clients are probably less likely to get overwhelmed by what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve with treatment and probably more likely to um go forward with you know straightforward simple pieces of advice rather than really you know over yeah. the top <laughs> Yes. Here's a list of yep. hundred things that I want
0: you to do yeah, by Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you don't do them, don't bother coming back <laughs> because you're not helping yourself.
1: Yeah, I think we've all had a moment where we've been explaining something to a client or we can just see them glass over and we think, okay, too much. That's too much. I've maybe not explained that properly or we're going too too far. At the minute, just always keeping, you know, I'm keeping it where the client's at as well. In terms of yeah, what the... I
0: remember in, in clinic once, um, so I do a lot of yoga, like a lot, uh, and I do Ashtanga yoga, which is, uh, people can get really intense about it. So when I was in the student clinic, I had a lot of my friend, my yogi friends, come because they were all hurt in many <laughs> different <laughs> ways. So I was talking to my supervisor and, you know, this um, friend of mine, really good friend of mine, she, she had uh, knee pain. And the supervisor said, well, you know, as part of the lifestyle advice, you're going to have to tell her to stop doing yoga for a few days. And I was like, ha, 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 that's not going to happen. And my supervisor was like, no, but, you know, if she wants to get better, and I'm like, I hear you, I hear you, and you're right, but I know her, it's not going to happen.
1: Exactly, you've got to work around it.
0: Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But the other thing that you said that I really liked was about, you know, the change in emotions of the lockdown, because I've had days where, you know, just getting in front of the television and watching The Simpsons has been an achievement. Mm-hmm. And then the happy days where I was like, no, I'm going to be proactive about this and I'm going to use this and I'm going to, mm-hmm. oh my God, I'm going to make videos for Instagram and I'm going to revamp my website. But it's difficult to sustain that. It takes mm-hmm. a, a level of, you know, Shen, I guess, that yeah. I, I don't feel I always have in, in this lockdown situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably as well. It depends where, where people are. isn't it? I mean, when I went into lockdown, I immediately, you know, I could swear right now I won't, but, you know, I immediately had thoughts of, oh, my God, you know, what am I going to do? I have no backup, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: I have no backup. There's nobody else. There's no other income coming into my house what are we going to do? So initially, right, everyone's hopping on to telemedicine and this and that. And telemedicine actually was something that always did appeal to me prior to lockdown. But there was just something about it when we went into lockdown. I thought, I'm just going to wait, which is amazing for me because I'm very impulsive. I thought, I'm just going to sit and watch and see how I feel about it. And I just watched what other people were doing. And I just had a little feel into what what I thought felt right for me and my clients and I just thought this is just not for me there's something about this it just isn't for me and it isn't for my clients and it just doesn't feel right so it's not an option for me right now um and then very shortly after that um it looked like I was getting no support financially from the government which took me, you. yeah it took me to a bit of a bad spot actually I was getting really angry because I was thinking you know i working so hard you know I've really been going through quite a lot to get where I am hoping that by putting this effort in now then when things stabilize it will be you know easier um so I was feeling really quite angry at a stage it was it's really like the the five stages of grief almost I've been through with this it's you know feeling the anger and then eventually I thought I got the I got the support with the grant I was very lucky I feel really so thankful because I know a lot of our colleagues haven't had that support um, and I really feel for them, you know, because I know I've been in a very different place had I not been given that little bit of lifeline. Um, and then <clears throat> after that, tra- rather tragically, my brother died um, of COVID. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was a bit of a, yeah, very sudden, tragic news, really, um, uh, really difficult for many reasons and and so I was trying to navigate that um, and basically that swallowed me up for a little while I had a good couple of weeks of being actually horizontal Mm -hmm. unable to move at all and for someone like me who needs movement you know (laughs) my (laughs) my liver chi needs I need stretching movement I need I need to be dynamic and moving and uh, reaching and striving and things So that felt really suffocating to me. Um, So I had to make a decision, rightly or wrongly, that um, I couldn't let this all swallow me up. I have to somehow just shelve it for a while until I feel stronger. Because at the minute, it just feels too much. And the reality is, Vanessa, that the financial pressure is on me. So if I'm not here with it, and I'm not moving forward, then we have no idea how this is going to play out, right? So I have to, I have, to have my A game. <laughs> you know, I have to I have no choice but to just get going with uh, with things. And round about when my brother died, I was um, toying with the idea of um, diversifying um, what I offer in my practice. And it's things that I've wanted to do for a long time, but never, ever had the freedom to think about it because I've been so busy doing my mum thing and doing my running my practice thing and, dealing with life um, so i decided to bite the bullet and, and go forward with some training that will hopefully get me back to work sooner um because i, I don't know how it's all going to play out in terms of um, seeing clients i mean seeing if i were to see clients at the stage that we're rate that we're talking about um i probably would only be able to pay my clinic fees which are really really high that's no good I need to eat right so <laughs> I have to think think outside that a little bit um so yeah although I'd love to you know in some ways just go oh and stop and I can't I have to keep going
0: but, uh, I, I get a feeling that you are a element aren't you
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> yes it takes one to it takes one to yeah. know one <laughs> yeah yeah Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear
0: you. I hear you because I'm very wooed myself and I was thinking about it the other day. So for me, my most wooed experience um, was during my first year. I, I suddenly got pregnant. Um, mm. You know, it was a surprise pregnancy because I was 42. So really didn't think it was going to happen. Um, and I miscarried. Mm. And I miscarried yeah. and nine weeks, literally two weeks before my exams oh gosh and then it was it was that mood quality where I was like well I'm not going to go through all this grief and fail my exams that's just Mm -hmm. not going to happen yeah yeah (laughs) and I powered through and of course later on you pay for it because Mm -hmm. later on you crash but but then again what was the alternative like Mm -hmm. you know sometimes you just have to do what you have to do and then in in a way that was leading me to thinking about our patients that are very good and you see that they are pushing themselves through something, you know, should we tell them not to or should we just support them through? Mm.
1: It's an interesting question, actually, because obviously with what we study and we know and we spend hours and hours and hours um, cultivating our craft and how to discuss these things with clients um you know I I reconcile with okay this is not the healthiest option right now in terms of shelving my grief um and in terms of plowing on through but I have to you have to also work with what you've got as well the reality is I have to earn money to support my family so I'm I'm also doing things around that which is kind of the way I work with my clients so I have a lot of clients like we all do where where you can see your job is killing you you know your toxic relationship is killing you and your obsession with a dysfunctional relationship with a work colleague is killing you whatever it might be we, we see the same things all the time these human problems are never really that diverse they're all really usually quite simple it's the same things we see all the time isn't it not dealing with accepting past past problems or letdowns or whatever it might be Um, but it's if the person isn't quite there to let go of that or make that change that's not our call our call is to support them through that I mean I know myself I was having I think acupuncture for about six years before I really made some I mean all the while I was making changes and yeah. trying to like understand how I was as a person and my place in the world and my connection with the world and my connection with my pain and what I was ready to let go of and all that kind of stuff but um it took time for me so I try to have time with my clients with that and it's the same with the situation I'm having myself and being patient with myself and understanding that this mm-hmm. is what it is. So, what I do in the meantime is I open my big, flipping, massive toolkit, and I go, okay, to get through this as unscathed as po- possible. Yeah. I need to do things like upping my meditation, like it's non-negotiable every day. But my family know you don't interrupt me when I'm meditating. Even my small children. This is my time. I need this to stay well. You know, movement, things like things. I know well for me, a big part is nutrition, nourishing my body with food. That's a non-negotiable for me. And then the things like what do I stay away from? Alcohol, for example, terrible thing for me. I shouldn't drink anyway, but it for me in times of crisis, it's the first thing that goes because it's uh, it's not good for, for how I feel. So I mean, these are all the teachings that we learn, isn't it? And we give them to our clients, but I'm just doing it for myself at the minute. I, it's not ideal. I'm not loving life right now. It's hard, and it's you know, I'm nervous and I'm anxious about what what might come out of it. But I'm also um, hopefully trying to do as much as I can to not let that get out of control and support myself. I'm so
0: so grateful that you are being so candid about how you're feeling because all all of us are feeling like that. Mm -hmm. We're all scared. We're all trying to push through. We're all trying to, you know, Mm -hmm. do the best we can. And I think... Particularly, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about the world of social media and, the, you know, how we present ourselves. And for me, it got to the point where I only share videos of my dog and photos of <laughs> Santa Claus or something like that, because I just can't do this thing where, you know, um, yeah, like even... When I record videos for Instagram and I, I, catch myself thinking, should I put a filter because I'm looking pretty. <laughs> oh
1: yes, oh yes, I definitely filter. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a funny world, isn't it? It's kind of plastic world. I read an excellent article this morning. I don't know if anyone's uh, following, um, poke acupuncture. Russell Brown, I think his name is, a guy in LA. Oh, he's phenomenal. I mean, I love his writing. I mean, it was really, um, it really shines a light on on what we do on social media um, in terms of this presentation of, um, you know, it can seem like the plastic life. I mean, I try to be as authentic as possible in my social media and and I, sh- I share quite a lot about my own life and the hope that it shows people that, yeah, you know, I'm normal too. I have life hitting me in the face every five minutes. But these are the things that genuinely help me, and I try and share them with people who mm-hmm. follow. Like, you know, there are things that I genuinely wouldn't live well if I wasn't doing. So, eating well, trying to find space and time, trying to slow time down, um, you know, trying to be less busy in a crazy busy world all that kind of stuff and his his article is excellent because it, it talks about that in depth and kind of all the societal issues around all of that I would urge any acupuncturist or student not acupuncturist to check him out he's amazing um I love yeah it. I'll
0: definitely look it up um so it sounds like you're rebuilding your practice um, mm. has been a totally different experience than when you originally started working as an acupuncturist
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the first time it wasn't crucial how many clients a week I saw. <laughs> the first time I was working in a lovely treatment room in my home that was perfect in terms of setup. So there was no real big pressures for me to make my clinic work. And um, I think the reason I got busy quite quick was because of the work that I did in the background when I was a student in terms of just sharing my passion with anyone who cared about what I felt about Chinese medicine and acupuncture and how it would be useful. Um, so, in uh, the first time, it was quite easy. There was no pressure on me. My only pressure was to get people well and really try and learn my skills and improve my knowledge and improve my skills. This time, completely different because yes, it, the it became. If I let it, I could think about it. Has to be. It has to be the business. Too much. Um, But also I think as acupuncturists we can generally suffer of not seeing our practices as businesses sometimes and that's unfortunate because I feel a lot of acupuncturists may not succeed in sticking with their practice because it can't make them enough money to live. So I think sometimes collectively we miss a trick um, as acupuncturists in terms of being a little bit more business-like and how we approach our practices. It's okay, it's not dirty (laughs) to earn money, you know, It's, you know, it's to to get paid for what we do is really important. That cycle is giving and receiving, and that must, it's a cycle. It has to happen. We can't just give, give, give. Absolutely. And it's so complex because I feel Mm -hmm. that
0: as healers, we just want to help people. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sometimes I have patients that come in and they tell me what they do for a living. And then, you know, you can tell that sometimes it really is a bit of a stretch for them. Mm. Um, Usually they come because they're actually quite desperate and and they they think, okay, I have to make this investment, otherwise I'm not going to get better. Mm. Um, But at the same time, you know, my clinic's not going to pay for itself. I rent a room and the rent needs to be paid. And also... I get really complex feelings because on the one hand I'm like, well, you know, acupuncture should be available for everyone. We shouldn't be expensive. But then, then sometimes I see in my area that you know you can get a fancy manicure will actually cost as much as mm. one of my treatments. And mm. not, you know, not in respect with to, to nail,
1: nail technicians, but it's not the same kind of thing. No, I read a great article in the BBC. My husband, well, I don't I actually don't watch news or read the BBC my husband sent it to me um and it was it really illustrated this lovely it was a Muslim family I think um and they were on really low-income jobs and they talked about how um this distribution of your money you know I know a lot of people it's a really touchy subject right people get really touchy when you talk about this and I understand that I'm not saying telling people how to spend their money it's not none of my business how you spend your money but if you're going to make sweeping statements like you can't afford such and such then I don't believe you unless you you're looking at the, the whole situation this family who earned nothing we're spending x amount of pounds a month on Chinese herbs and acupuncture and good nutrition but then choosing not to do other things that maybe other people do do, like getting gel nails or false eyelashes or whatever it might be. If you do those things and they bring you joy and you feel good, power to you. But don't then say you haven't got money. You just, you know, I, I had really a lot of experience with this the first time I started working where clients would say to me, oh, I can't, I can't justify it, I can't afford it, you know. And my demographic is probably mostly a high-earning demographic and there's a community acupuncture clinic in my area but I still felt, oh, I need to, I need to support these people. I have to. I'd be there, like doing all I could to support them. And then they'd come in following week saying, oh, I've just been to a yoga ashram. Um, Right, yes. <laughs> and I would think, how nice for you. I've not been on holiday. I would love to go to a flipping ashram, you know, and, and and certain things like this. And I'm not saying it makes you hard. It doesn't make me hard to the situation. You know, if I'm charging a, a fair wage, a fair price for what I do and and actually supporting me to feel feel well, feed my family well, be able to take holidays when I can, um, then, you know, th- I'm going to be much happier the client's going to get much better um, exchange from me for that. Um, and there, w- there was a point I was going to make; it's gone completely out of my head. Don't worry about do that all the time. But that yes, yeah, completely left my head. There was a it was a good point. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I've just remembered, um,
0: and this is just me just totally tying random ends um, of a string. But I was reading. Well, it was a while ago that I read this. So there's this thing that happened with computer programmers, like, you know, it used to be the first computer programmers um, ever were women. So they were actually secretaries that had to punch the code into the punch cards. You know, this is like really back in the time. And it it was considered, you know, like a secretarial activity. So it was really low pay. Then the men came in. And then you know it's got to the point where now the immense majority of computer programmers are men, and it gets paid. It gets paid an enormous amount of money. Like you know, the last few years I worked, I was making ridiculously man, ridiculous money. But apparently, the thing is that in professions where then the tide has turned again and became female again, then the um, the compensation actually goes down again. So, for example, now a lot of the doctors are women and doctors don't make as much money as they used to make. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of um, female acupuncturists. Mm. And I think um, I think it was actually in one of the mastermind um, classes that Nav and Carmen um, did recently. And she was talking about this. She was talking about the pay gap mm. where she went and, and took some statistics and it was something like on average, you know, male practitioners were charging £20 more per session than female ones.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, isn't it? But also not even just comparing genders, comparing disciplines. You look at what physios charge for dry needling or chiros charge for dry needling. I mean, even that is a topic, right? It's like, it's incredulous when you look online and look in your area and see what other disciplines are charging for, you know, watered down version of what you do. We don't value ourselves enough. You know, I, I don't get why why we don't do this, because I think we, going forward, I think we are the future of preventative medicine, Chinese medicine. I see us as key, and I wish, I wish we had better representation of that. You know, if you look back and read the Yellow Emperor's Classic, whatever, you know, read any of those books, Chinese, you know acupuncturist I think everyone probably knows knows this but back in the day we were not paid 2,500 years ago if our clients got poorly I loved that and that really stuck with me when I when I was training and I think one of the things that I loved most about Chinese medicine was the fact that we were looking at everything you know it wasn't just a matter of whapping needles in and and getting on with it next, next, next. I mean, some clinics run like that. And I'm, yeah, they'll, they'll still have effect. But the, the true roots of Chinese medicine, it was our job to keep our clients well. That is preventative medicine. So I've heard some people in discussions, we talked about these forums, talk about how, yeah, some practitioners have got clients going to see them quite often. Most of my clients come to see me for maintenance treatments. Once we've got things under control. We're straight on the maintenance package. I do that myself. I go for maintenance acu- acupuncture. I go for maintenance massages. Um, in fact, when the stress got big for me at Christmas, I was like, okay, I'm extra massages, extra acupuncture. Even although my finances were tighter, I knew I had to invest in myself because no me, no business. <laughs> you know, I, if I'm off sick, I'm not getting paid. Um, so i have to look after myself and i teach that to my clients so why wouldn't i do it myself you know we we've got a real opportunity people are our competition for example would be physios chiros i don't see you and i as competition i don't see the acupuncturist across the road from me as competition because there's 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 patients whatever you want to call them patients clients for everyone okay my vibe not yeah. there. My, my vibe doesn't sit your client and vice versa right we 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 sing different of different hymn sheets and so there's always business for acupuncturists but if you're going to compare acupuncturists with our, our other competition which acupuncturists are very fixated with you know physios, chiros, people like that they just don't do what we do you know they don't do what we do in offering in terms of for example the needling Is obvious okay that the needling is completely different to to what we do but then around all of that the the teachings that we've been given in terms of dietary therapy in terms of body work movement medicine you know in terms of um mindfulness approaches to being in the moment and people seem to think they need to run off and do training courses and all of this stuff but actually we're we've been taught this if you read our books (laughs) You know, you read the text we, we were given d- during our degrees. We are, we've are we been taught how to do this already. Yes, it's great to go in further and deepen our knowledge, but we have this well-rounded, beautiful medicine, which is true preventative medicine, and it is the future of healthcare. I really see that strongly. I see nothing but opportunity for us in the future. If we can differentiate ourselves from other disciplines. Offering yeah, water. And, and
0: to me it's just crazy that people don't, Consider themselves worthy in a way of, of such an investment. Because if you look at the really successful people, like, you know, famous people like Madonna or Lady Gaga, and they're, you know, they always have an acupuncturist on board or they always have, mm. you know, um, a massage therapist on board. And I know that when I worked in the city, I spent 10 years working in the city. And I think I was having acupuncture at least twice a month throughout the whole 10 years and I remember at points people were like well but are you not better and I'm like yeah no, I'm really good this. <laughs> yeah. this is why yeah. I'm doing it because I really really want to stay well
1: yeah I have friends ask me that so what's wrong with you why are you going for acupuncture and I have to say I'm going to stay well you know this this is how I stay well you know just like I do meditation to uh stay calmer for for a start, but you know, and to stay more present and connected and whatever, it's like it, these things are practice as well. They're, they're, you know, it's it's about creating healthy habits for you for yourself, you know, so that when things do hit, like pandemics, you're stronger, you're more resilient, you're mentally and physically stronger. You know how to look after yourself, and that's that is another beauty of what we do. Is that it's one of the things I'm most passionate about in my practice. I love. I love teaching clients how to look after themselves, and I love getting them engaged and excited about making – it doesn't have to be big, grand changes, but if someone comes in to me and says, Fiona, I have had vegetables with every meal this week, we're like high-fiving, you know, small – it doesn't have to be big changes, but – Something, whatever the, you know, as a, as a um, practitioner, it's our job to see which ones may have the biggest impact, or which ones will make the the person feel more in control of their their life again. Because quite often when we meet people, they're they're in their most out of control control phase of their life, right? And it's like trying to help them get back behind this the, the wheel again and be in control. And the thing is, these these habits, you know, if you don't
0: notice them when things are going well. It's really when. The proverbial hits the fan that then you realize, like, you know, I had a yoga practice for, I think it was by then daily yoga for 12 years when my father got diagnosed with stage four Um liver and colon cancer mm. and he had surgery and obviously my parents live in Spain I'm here in in London mm. but you know thanks to technology I was always talking to them but there was one day and i, I you know how you never forget some moments mm. it was a Monday morning when my mother sent me a photo and she said your father's dying so I went home packed a suitcase and went home and then for a week I was um spending the day at hospital um, you know, keeping my mom sane because my mom by then had absolutely lost it. She just couldn't cope anymore. And at night I was actually working. So I was connecting to work because I had a, a really big team. I had a team of 30 people and I couldn't mm. abandon them. Mm. Um, and that's when the yoga showed. Without that daily practice of yoga, there's no way I would have been able to do that. And my father lived, so there's a good ending to the story. Yes, yes, there's a good ending. He's, He's still here. He's doing really well. But if I hadn't had those practices of good food, you know, my yoga practice and all these things that I didn't appreciate so much when things were easy for me, I would not have not gone through the really hard times.
1: Yeah, 100%. I I've, I've I've thought that really deeply recently Vanessa, especially last year there was a lot going on in my personal life which was very very stressful for me and the busiest time of my clinics just when I got full time. Um and I didn't really have the energy for that either at that point but it was again necessity I had had to do it, right? So um I just had to suck it up for a while. But um, I just had moments, I remember around about Christmas time, of just thinking, right, suck it up, sister, surrender, surrender to what you know, like, trust. All the things that you talk about and all the things that you've read about and all of the things you've learned, just like, I was just like rooting down, pulling at things that I knew would help me to keep me stay stable. You know, that lovely analogy, or metaphor we use in Chinese medicine of the tree. Good. I mean, I find it so useful all of the time to come back to that and think about that. Just like getting, bedding down, rooting down what's important. And all the noise can just, you know, uh, yeah. silenced by that. But um, you're
0: also a gut and psychology syndrome, and sorry, I'm reading it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gut and physiology syndrome practitioner and health and wellness coach. So um, how did
1: this all come about? Was this an interest that you had before or after acupuncture? yeah well the 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 gut healing kind of I mean my my intro to acupuncture came mostly from uh starting on changing my nutrition and then I became aware of acupuncture so nutrition's always been a massive part of my own personal healing and work that I did um myself so it was always something I was happy to share with clients and I find a lot of my clients really are hungry for that knowledge um but as I was going along and with my acupuncture practice, I just kept feeling like what I learned in my degree was useful. What I knew personally was useful, but I felt that we were missing something fundamental. Um, and you know, there's whole schools in China who just would would focus primarily on the digestive energy. It was such a you know such a big feature in our in our medicine. Is I mean, who's not working with spleen deficiency or you know. W- all, all of the other patterns all around it that can feed into that. I mean, so I just felt I need to help. I felt I needed to help clients make more, um, make deeper change with their nutrition. Um, otherwise, I felt like I was just fighting fire with fire with the acupuncture. So that was kind of why I went down that road. Um, and then um, it seemed a good path to go down because now gut, gut health and healing has exploded and it's huge. Um, and I haven't got one client who doesn't ask me about it. Um, and it's been it's been really valuable in my learning as well. Um, so I work with clients with that, and the health coaching has come about again. And I think it it comes to how you practice with your with your clients. I mean, when I'm practicing this last while, I think I'm making some great. We're getting some great results. <laughs> we're making some great uh, inroads into changing habits or um, getting clients to really engage with the connection of themselves and what they need in terms of. For their, for their connection and health. But um, quite often I tip upon clients who are like, I know, you know, I, I can hear what you're saying and I understand what you're saying and I can, you know, intellectually get what I need to do, but I just can't do it. So, yeah. I, and I was there thinking, I can't help you do that unless I'm literally living in your house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which <reading> your carrot. <laughs>
1: yeah, which I'm not going to do. Um, so I just thought I need to help people get over that little hump if I can get people over that little hump then um that will really help me so the the health coaching came around I mean I've been looking at it for years actually I've wanted to do it for a long time but I haven't had the energy or mental space to to give it any time um but as it's become more of a frustration in my practice I felt it more necessary to just help people bridge the gap in terms of um making those changes for healthier habits so it's really the psychology around how people make those changes and the steps they need to make in place to get over the things that are holding them back from moving on um and i think they all they just all they just further embed into that um, belief of mine that as acupuncturists it's really i feel it's my role to really help and guide clients to stay well for their future health get over their whatever the reason is they've come for because unfortunately most people only seek acupuncturists at the end of the line or when they're in pain or experiencing dysfunction. I want to flip that around. It's completely going to be my mission to flip that around. I want people going to acupuncturists to stay well.
0: Um, And I think that's going to happen because I really think that something that really um, this crisis brought to the forefront is that, um, well... There's a lot of there's a lot that happened around inequality. So, you know, wealthier people can shelter in their houses and in the really big houses and they're fine and you know some politicians can drive many miles and also yeah. be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to say yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um I think, you know, people have realized that if their immune system is not strong, then they, they're in bigger danger. And if they have, um, you know, if they have health problems, then the risk is greater for them. So I think there really is going to be an emphasis, particularly, you know, with things as they are in the in. in in the UK, well, and in Spain, don't you think that I, I think Spain is any, any better? But in the UK with the NHS right now, there is a crisis. Yeah. And for example, um, I am quite prone to UTIs mm-hmm. and it's getting harder and harder in the middle of a, a crisis to get seen. So the moment I feel the slightest twinge of, you know, yeah. <laughs> ooh, that feels a bit uncomfortable, mm-hmm. I'm leaving myself because
1: yeah, I don't want to actually have to go to my GP. No. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's. I think it's got. I think it's got to be something that is going to come out of this well for us. I know a lot of acupuncturists are feeling really nervous and anxious, and I understand it because I am too, to a degree. But I think if you, if I think if you stay with like step to step rather than the bigger picture, um, that will help to to keep everything a little bit more stable and and um less anxiety provoking, because. I really do feel, and I think a lot of people will feel this, that our medicine will be hugely sought after, um, you know, when we um, when we move out of this, when we're able to practice in a way that isn't just seeing minimal clients a day covered in, you know, masks and gloves or whatever. I do think that day, I mean, it's got to come, but how far away that is, none of us know just yet. Um, so that's that's partly why I'm pushing ahead with things like, Health coaching and and things like that. So I'm starting to take clients over the over the over the internet for that, and that feels more congruent with my practice because I actually have the training behind it as well to to do that and I have a very structured formula to give clients. I don't feel like I'm, I, you know, just hoping for the best with te- giving advice because knowledge knowledge is knowledge is nothing if it's not being applied. So, you know, this this is kind of why why i've adapted in this way to try and help people apply the knowledge um
0: yeah the practicing with masks is going to be weird but um i have actually a list my my first patients that are going i'm going to see as soon as i can reopen are actually nhs workers and people that are Mm -hmm. working in the front line of (laughs) of the covid19 fight so i think they're going to be fine they're more than used to (laughs) yeah yeah masks and everything um but, you know, it's, it's really interesting because this was an offer I made, uh, you know, so that I could give back in a way. And mm. it's anxiety is what many of them um, mentioned as a problem for them, which is not a surprise. Um, and then back pain because, you know, they're working mm. so many hours a day, standing up, lifting patients,
1: yeah, amazing. Well, that's great. And w- when are you going back to work? When are you, have you decided when you're... <laughs> <working>? <laughs> that's the big question.
0: <laughs> so I am, I am very wooed. My, my element is definitely wooed. Mm. Um, so I was getting quite itchy. Um, and then the British Acupuncture Council did a town hall last week where they said, mm. well, they sent an email on the 20th when they said from the 21st, you can do urgent care. Mm-hmm. So that night, I sent out an email to my patients, and I updated my website, and I updated on Instagram, and I was like, good to go. And then I notified my local council. I'm in North London. The council is Haringey. Um They are interesting to deal with. <laughs> and they replied back, and they said, no, you cannot. Oh. They said, we're waiting to hear from government, and right now. And I was like, but no, look, the BXC, here's the guidelines. And they were like, haha, no.
1: Yeah. yeah it's it's tricky isn't it because I think I mean although I'm looking to diversify and and see people online with the coaching and things you know it's always good to have a backup plan (laughs) yeah and I think I mean I'm fully 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 thinking in the worst case scenario I just get a job any job that pays a wage until I can return to practice and um, build up my coaching to the point where it can bring me an income that my family can live from I think you know it's wise to have a backup plan um, at the minute for sure. But my energy is definitely going on the forward plan. Of um, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, I yeah, I used to write code. I know that the moment I need it, I can go back to writing code. I really hope that's not the case. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at the moment, I think my plan is. Um, I think what's the government saying in early July. Yeah, yeah, mm. it's yeah. one of those things that you just have to.
1: Yeah, none of us know. It's so uncertain. And here in lies, one of the biggest learnings ever, right? Like, we have to just, what can we do? We have to just try and go with the flow. We have to just accept where it is at the minute um, and take one step at a time. I think of a couple of times, actually, I have allowed myself to think a little bit much wider than that and it has actually frightened me and I thought well what if this and what if that and what if and none of that's real so what's the point um it's better just to keep day to day and just think okay adjust your finances to the point where you know I think my Instagram posts might become beans and toast soon instead of um (laughs) instead of um nice cooked meals but um you know yeah i don't want to think about that i don't want to think about that as a possibility i like to try and um, focus on the the um the ultimate goal rather than the worst case scenario yeah and it's really interesting because i was reading
0: um a book on um chronic pain it's called life after pain really really good book i recommend it mm-hmm. and um it categorizes the patients that have Chronic pain in several categories, but the one I I fitted in, um, you know, they call it reactive pain, which is pain that's really activated by mental habits. Mm. So, one of the exercises that they teach you is that when you feel the pain, you ask yourself, What am I feeling now? Is this real? Mm. And for me, you know, my shoulders hurt and I think, Oh my God, I'm never going to be able to do the really advanced yoga practice that I used to do. And then I think, Well, is this real? And the answer is, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but I don't know. So if I don't know, why am I acting like I do
1: know? Yeah, yeah. That's so powerful, Vanessa. I think that's really, really powerful, especially at the minute. That's the dialogue we need. You know, I think, unfortunately, when people come together, we're we're quite, um, I don't think we're unique, but we're definitely one of the most affected in terms of... um, uh, by, by, by this pandemic in terms of workers who work, you know, the way we do. Um, and also, ultimately, we don't charge, I don't think we charge a lot for what we do. Um, if we have that then further reduced by the amount of people we can see and all these things, you can see why people are starting to think, oh, my God, how am I going to be able to keep working? But then when you bring a collective energy like that together, it's even worse <laughs> because everyone's feeding off everyone's uh, this, this, this what-if scenario like you talk about it, what's real, what's not real. Um, sticking with what's real is the the most important thing at the minute um, and, you know, keeping with what's right here and now and not what, because it's changing moment to moment all the time. I mean, one minute I was having no, no government support and then a few days later I got a grant. I mean, I, I couldn't even believe it. Um, one minute I have, uh, uh, that's all I've got and then Uh, A few weeks later, I'm allowed to apply for a bounce-back loan so that I can um, maybe invest in my clinic at home um, and make that a reality, which, you know, these are things I wanted to do, but maybe, I mean, these are things that I wouldn't have had actually the option to do if um, the pandemic wouldn't have hit because I wouldn't have gotten a loan. Um, Yeah, and
0: I think for me lately, I've I've had all these thoughts. um, You know, we've got chi and and in yoga and Ayurveda, you've got prana. Mm -hmm. and it's all so lately about conservation of chi. Mm. And as you as you know, you know, obviously we all know we all like acupuncturists know that the emotions can either sink our chi or disperse it or do all sorts of funny things yeah. to eat and it's exactly as you say, like it changes so quickly that it feels like a waste of really good qi <laughs> to yeah, spend yeah. your time catastrophizing. Yeah, it's futile. You're going to be right at the end, which might be the case. We don't know.
1: Yeah, it's futile. It's more powerful and more helpful to stick with what you're hoping is going to happen (laughs) and what you would would be your best case scenario. It's good to have a backup plan, for sure. But, um, you know, it's good to have... um, your focus and your emphasis and actually i I mean i know a lot of people might not get with this but it's a big feature for me in my life i find when i really focus in on what i'm doing like i don't ever really look at what other acupuncturists around me are doing in my area for example what direction they are going in who their market is any of that that's really probably really bad from a business perspective i suppose but i don't really care i'm more concerned about what i'm doing how i'm doing it what kind of value am i doing for the people who come to see me and what my what my practice about how it serves me in my life and because i get a lot out of my work i'm really missing i'm missing that um i miss i'm actually more relaxed in work than i am at home <laughs> with the kids and all of the chaos um I'm really missing that escape to my lovely little um, oasis but um yeah it's it's, it's yeah it's just a, I I really like to stick with what I'm doing where I'm going what, what my vision is what I'm hoping uh what the balance is going to be for me what I what I'm trying to achieve in my own life with my business for my to suit my life and my purpose and stick with that and I think by by virtue, if you're very focused on that, I think you end up going in that direction. You know, know, things have come to me this last few weeks, which um, I never expected, Um, you know, offers of help, advice, um, people, friends of mine who are professionals who can see my situation and what I've been going through lately, offering me support and all of this kind of thing. So it's, um, you know, if you keep focused on your goal, then I think you're more likely to get there in a much healthier kind of
0: trajectory. Yeah, and I think I think that's really a great closing idea. That the idea that you know it's hard to keep your eyes on the goal at the moment, but really is the thing that's going to carry us yeah. all through. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been an absolute pleasure, a pleasure, Fiona. Um, so for anyone that might want to check it out, um, would you mind um, spelling your? Um, website address because I can't pronounce your surname I can barely oh. pronounce mine
1: <laughs> well my website is actually a holding page at the minute it's um www.fionaswinburne so that's s-w-i-n-b-u-r-n-e.com and I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well and um, Fiona Swinburne Wellness on Instagram so uh, fantastic thank <laughs> you so much Fiona yeah, thanks for having me Vanessa really enjoyed it thank you